0: Welcome to the sixth podcast of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was put together on the land of the Boonarong people of the Kulin Nation and acknowledge their traditional owners past, present and emerging leaders. Today we're discussing the role of prevention in policing. The Living Free Project works not only with the Women in the Justice System, however, also young girls aged 10 to 17 reported missing. Our work with the young girls has raised our awareness of how a missing persons report can be used as a red flag for other factors that can often pave the way to a trajectory of offending. Furthermore, a targeted and personalised effort to address these reasons as to why they're going missing is essential to build protective factors and reduce the risk factors that are likely going to bring them in contact with the justice system as an offender. There's a positive research on the trajectory of missing girls and their contact with the justice system. However, if you map the research backwards on the profiles of women in the justice system, it's evident that a high proportion have experienced significant adversity and multiple traumas from a really early age. For the girls that we've been lucky enough to connect with through Living Free, the criminogenic risk factors are already present. 100% had been exposed to family violence 100% had an adverse childhood event, and over 90% are already disengaged from education. An opportunity to intervene at this stage is an opportunity to disrupt this trajectory. The police are there to locate and return children and young people who are reported missing. However, they don't have the capacity to provide a welfare response, nor is it deemed in their role. In Division 4 of Victoria Police, our team in the Proactive Policing Unit have prioritised the need to better understand the reasons behind a young person going missing, but they remain hamstrung as to how they can actually respond. Often the needs of the young girls are multiple and complex and require intensive long-term engagement and coordination across multiple sectors. Even with the best intentioned members of Victoria Police, this response is clearly one that needs to sit with the health and community service sector. The collaboration with Victoria Police is essential to ensure that any response is swift, assertive and coordinated in order to connect with those most vulnerable. Okay, so today we're joined um, by Senior Sergeant Alan Courtney from Victoria Police. Alan's been the driving force in the development of the Living Free Project and he's got a really strong passion about doing something differently in responding to young girls reported missing and um, we're thrilled to have you Al, so
1: welcome. Thanks very much Lisa. Um, Yeah, just a little bit about me, I'm 35 years into the police force now. I uh, only ever joined to, be, uh, for, to fill in a couple of years and I was going to go back to uni and become an architect. So it's amazing how uh, sliding doors come and go and before you know it, you've got a family and you're in a job for life. So, it's, look, it's been a good job. But part of it I've realised is that police have a real focus on response rather than prevention. And as much as we like to think that we engage with the community, which we do a lot better now, that's, there's still the prevention side that we seem to be... Uh, know a fair way behind and there's a lot of scope for improvement there so look that's why i was always showed an interest in the living free project when we first spoke about it um the need to uh, address that vulnerable group of uh, kids being 12 to 18 year old girls missing persons so that's where i uh, came into the picture
0: yeah and i think for a lot of people they don't realize i guess the vulnerability around the young girls that are reported missing so What are some of the, I guess, the risk factors that you see for these young girls and why are they deemed a high risk category?
1: Well, it's because of their vulnerability. The fact that they've, you know, they're young girls and in that age group, when they go missing, they're subject to um, being controlled for want of a better word, when they're out on the street doing it rough or they've run away from the supports being mum, dad, guardians, grandparents, brothers, sisters. They're at risk and um, it's normally, uh, you know, that sort of uh, praying type, grooming type behaviour that you get from males, normally older males that will offer them somewhere to stay for the night, a couch, somewhere safe in in their eyes and they jump at it and before you know it they become reliant on that other group and then that other group will often lead them into gateway offending, uh, drugs and then, you know, sexual exploitation. So, I provided you with some stats earlier on, Lisa, and if, I think if we just open up and address some of those stats, because I know you love data. I had a look at just for 2019 uh, for missing girls on the uh, Frankston and Peninsula area, and I counted 307 ca- reported cases of missing girls in that 12 to 18-year-old bracket for Frankston and the Peninsula. And 189 of those 307 were noted with a risk, att- a risk or an attempt at suicide. That's pretty startling data, isn't it?
0: Pretty significant.
1: Yeah, and um, that's one division. Uh, there's 21 divisions in Big Poll across the state. So you start to do the maths on that and um, it becomes, uh, you know, it's a pretty compelling argument to do something about it. The, the, you know, the uh, what's it cost? It cost the young girls a lot of... Vulnerability, a lot of risk of being exposed to crime, uh, breaks down a family unit. Cost the police. I think you worked it out at about fifteen million a year, or or something, just just for that division.
0: I think um, there was some old research that was done that that cited every missing persons report cost around two two thousand three hundred dollars to you know yes. for the in the police resources in. And so that's pretty significant when you look at the numbers just for one division. So it is an absolute, you know, travesty of numbers, I guess, is the, is the right yeah. word.
1: you look at it across the state, that would be something like 60,000 hours just in that 12 to 18-year-old age group for girls. Mm. You put in boys who go missing a lot more frequently, you put in then, you know, open it up to an older age group. Um, the numbers would be staggering and it's all about you know a little bit of prevention could go a long way in doing something in in those early doors.
0: Uh, One of the other things that has um, struck me in in the work that we've done in the Living Free Project is the amount of family those those missing girls that also have been victims of family violence so there's also quite a connection there in terms of I guess, the early start of the trauma and the impact of being exposed in those environments.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you know, look, back in the old days, you know, it would have been in the late 80s. I worked at St Kilda Police Station on the front line there. And um, you, at St Kilda, you got that younger girl age group, the, but they were normally around that 16 to 20-year-old, but they were street workers, and, um, you know, you watch watched them there. they had been exposed to Hep B, AIDS, uh, crime, doing scams, rip-offs, dealing with mugs, pimps, uh, abductions, sexual assault. You can, it wasn't much of a life for them. Now, if they've got to that stage at age, say, 16 or 17, uh, I couldn't imagine them as a 12-year-old ever sitting down saying, guess what, Mum, Dad, I'm going to be a uh, sex worker on the streets of St Kilda. So something's broken down there. And I used to look at all that, um, get to know them, because uh, they had a personal side. Each of them had a story. And uh, the common thing with all of them, they all went missing before they went into crime. So they all had a missing person history.
0: It's a pretty big indicator for yeah, yeah. the ongoing trajectory. So why, if if there is, you know, you're talking, what, 20, how, how many years ago were you at St Kilda? Mm.
1: Is it be uh, 25 28 years ago
0: yeah so a, a lot and if you could see it back then why would that risk indicator in a sense be ignored in terms of the need to do something for that for those young girls
1: so I think Lisa the same reason why you like data government <laughs> likes data big poll likes data and the whole idea is that if, you go, if state government's going to roll out a heap of, heap of money and it's a big public purse um, and give it to VicPol, they want to know that they're going to get a result. So you can easily measure arrests, charges, court appearances, imprisonments, all that sort of stuff's very easily measurable. And if you can achieve KBIs in that area, the state government and VicPol's uh, XCom uh, are pretty confident that everything's going all right but you can't measure prevention. You can't measure what you've stopped happening. So how do you go if you're the new chief commissioner up to the state government and say, I'm gonna change the face of Victoria police and concentrate on prevention. Um, and in my waters, I get a sense that I'll be able to uh, solve, uh, prevent a lot of crime rather than solve crime. I could only imagine what the state government would say to that type of uh, request for changing the way the poll work. So in the way it was back then, the focus was always on getting arrests and catching the bad guy rather than trying to work out why someone is in that predicament and stop them from doing that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think that when, you, when you're really looking at what is funded, and you've said it before, it's really hard to measure what may never happen. That's always been a really challenging thing, I guess, in terms of service provision and disrupting the potential trajectory
1: yeah and look lisa to advance it you know because let's not go back to ancient history when i was on the road um you know as years went by i got um, promoted and i ended up running hastings police station and when i was out there um you know i'd look at all the missing persons data that came through because i was in that senior manager role and uh, you'd start to analyze it and and i thought to myself are we doing it the right way you know you get a missing person a young person for argument's sake and uh, the pressure would be on, you had to find that person and no matter what. So it was more a matter of how much time it took you to find them rather than what you did once you found them. Because all we were doing was just clearing them off the computer, um, maybe make an e-referral but mm. we'd take them straight back home to where they came from or straight back to the resi house or whatever it was. Never one, you know, never really stopping to think about, hang on, that kid is running away from that situation. Yet we take great pride in finding them within about you know a couple of days and then getting them straight back, hand them over to mum, dad, guardian, and then just not make any inquiries as to the underlying causal reasons as to why they took off in the first place. So to me, it was pretty clear that you know this, our system was wrong, our processes of we're doing it. Let's make it, let's take that extra step and work out why we're doing it. And then we'll find out why they want to run away. Spend 20 minutes with the child or with the young person and say, what's going on in your life? Try and work out causation and then make the correct referrals. That's, that's the key.
0: Absolutely. And I think you did, you know, you were speaking about your time in St Kilda again, don't want to dive back into the archives, but you were saying, like, you know, you could see then, like, if there was the right services and supports and if the police could do something, that that's where it could really impact
1: yeah, cause look, we're not um, social workers. We're not trained yeah. to be social workers. Uh, we're trained to be um, you know, law enforcement. So we've got to accept that and we need that. We need that response capacity, definitely. You think about that young person, once they've been exposed to that crime through after becoming a missing person, gateway crime, drug crime, uh, you have to pay some way, you know, for staying at someone else's place for the food, the board, everything else crime becomes the easy thing to get trapped into. If that person then has 10, 15 years, 20 years of crime in front of them, you imagine the cost for society, the justice system, the victimisation that that person's causing, that all could be prevented if we did those better inventions in the early stages of when a child's either gone missing or gets a police caution and uh, you know essentially what everyone used to call a slap on the wrist for a minor offence. Kids don't normally just go out and do minor offences. There's something making them do that, you know. You, you you got to look into it a little bit further.
0: I completely agree. And what we've seen with our older women as well is that that trajectory, you're, back, you're spot on because it starts in really either childhood or early adolescent where those risk factors, I guess, and those red flags can really be seen. And if there's not that really intensive intervention then it, you know and that's what our women report that they never felt or they never knew that services existed and and that actually floored me to begin with That was like how, how do you not know but how do you not how do you know what's there when you have no one to guide you so I guess that's a really good point police aren't social workers but I guess there's a role of state somewhere and there's a role of services to to support the frontline policing.
1: With the old way that, and still the current way, that Victoria Police does missing people. You know, we get them, we register them, we take the reports, uh, we then put a risk assessment over them and then we... Work that on the likelihood that that missing person could cause the organisation some embarrassment, i.e. how did that young person get away from the resi house or why have they run away from, is it a school issue, is it a home issue, whatever it is, but find that person and then take them straight back to the spot that they ran away from. Wait another couple of days and guess what? The person runs away again and mm-hmm. they're out there chasing them down again. So there was this great effort on trying to locate the missing person as quick as you can because it cleared your books, the Vigpole books, but there was nothing done on trying to work out why that person yeah. wants to run away. Yeah. So depending on who found you, you uh, might get someone, you might get someone that actually inquires into while your old man's pushing you around, or your you know your neighbour's trying to you know as you're going through puberty get attracted to you, or whatever the case may be, you might have got that little bit of drill down, but um, by a great majority of times it was just return them home. There you go, mum. There you go, caregiver. There you go, guardian. Uh, yep. Sign this, <clears> and we're out of here. So real opportunity missed. I saw it on uh, how why we wouldn't drill into the reasons and then be able to do something with those reasons, engage somehow. There's definitely, you know, the failings within that system because they do a risk assessment on the yep. missing person, but then they do did nothing with it. Lisa's worked with the PPU, who are more organised now than they ever have been, but she's living proof that they can just be taken away taken away from their core duties and now they're doing nothing but COVID duties. So what yeah. happens with all that work, that, the continuity that they have yeah, going exactly. with the youth, it's all lost. And you imagine yeah. if you're the kid that's sitting there going, what's happened to that policeman? you a policewoman. They used to come and... Yep. You know, I was, come and you know, see me were, all the time. Yep. They worried about me and now I'm gone, you know, for six months I don't exist.
2: And it just <laughs> depends because there's obviously so many that fall through the cracks. So like you said, there's any, you get that one good police officer that actually you know, makes that referral to us all. but then there's so many other young girls out there that yeah, as you said, are returned back home to Resi or something and then it's just they just continue to go missing, they continue to be returned yeah. home, but nothing's done. Whereas in yeah, yeah, as you said, you have that one police officer that actually thinks, hang on a minute, and looks a little bit more into it and yeah. refers mm. to us. You
1: know, as an older male you you start to think, oh well it's just a kid they'll go through that period but <clears> a lot don't, you know, that five, yeah. seven Six, probably a five-year block where they're you know easily uh let
2: yeah. astray. and it's also like oh sorry Lee no I you do go to say I I came into this role from 14 years at youth justice in Frankston so I found that a lot of the young even like it, mostly the males but even some of the females that were the ones that needed that help they were so well known to Frankston police that they were almost just a you know a burden you know, do you know what I mean like so yeah. they were they were the problem child that were treated they were the ones that needed the assistance but they were the ones that were yeah just written off so the opportunity
0: even pre-residential care yeah you can actually stop Kids going into Resi
2: care, be exactly. getting them do the work early. Exactly, and that's what we are. We're early intervention, you know, like yep. the, yeah, the Resi kids already have child protection, but then mm. child protection is so busy. Kids, so yeah, we need to catch them before they get into Resi.
1: Yep. And, yeah. Hannah, I don't know if Lisa, have you sent Hannah the data on the missing person? Missing no. Person? So that's the SD four, which is I think, Lisa, you refer to it as Frankston and Peninsula, don't you? Or yep. Just, yep. So we call it SD4, and if you look, like there's got to be, I have, didn't even try and count them.
0: 314 be, 14 missing so 300
1: persons. In one year, mm. in that 12 to 18-year-old female. Wow. Mm. So you, we've narrowed the parameters right down. We've wow. got that. It'll have a lot of repeats in it because it lists, doesn't just have one person six times. It'll have six, one per, yep. It'll have the same person yeah. listed six times yeah. because they're the ones that present as the higher risk because they're willing to take off all the time. Mm. Um, you know, and some of it in there, some of the information even talks about their under, their uh, motivation. and It's obvious. It says wants to suicide in front of a uh, train and stuff like that. There's the cry for help. There's someone who's repeatedly running away and there's someone who's even saying, I'm going to do this. And then we're still, there's no coordinated follow-up, you no know, multi approach into mm. how we deal with that. Because that person will give you another probably 10, 15 years of accelerated uh, problems and crime mm. that will yep. eventually flow from it and addictions and drugs and everything like that. Um, if we did something at this stage, imagine mm-hmm. what you would uh, prevent in long yep. term.
0: And I think you could also touch on the electronic referral system that the police use, Mm -hmm. highlighting that for for many of these young girls and and families, it's actually an assertive approach needs to happen and a collaborative approach with the police is actually what promotes engagement and the ability to get in the families, whereas, you know, the mainstream voluntary Services that ring and ask if they need help not going to get anywhere with these families and and ultimately the young girls. That's what we've definitely found, isn't it? And yeah, so that that data is phenomenal. I as you know, I clap my hands about data. I love it. <laughs> and do you see the email I sent back around the cost? Oh
1: yeah, well you worked out what was it about fifteen million a year?
0: Fifteen million a year across the state just for females, just for females. 15. And, to like, and what, to, the cost to locate the missing girls, is that what you mean? Police cost, not just anything else. And, and I think, you know, I I know politics is all about cost and numbers. Like, I'm, I'm very aware of that. So that is the resourcing cost to taking that report and then doing the risk assessment, then finding, resourcing there then if you look at the cost of further contact with systems into the future, if, if that pathway isn't disrupted, then it's going to be exponential. It's going to be they're the ones that cost the most in the system, justice system, health system. And then unfortunately for a lot of our young girls, it's early pregnancies. So the cycle starts again. Hannah, when you work collaboratively with the police to get in early, like yeah. what are what are some of the outcomes that you've been able to see? Because yeah,
2: well, generally... I mean, look at how look at how many success stories we've had. Yeah. Like, that those girls are the prime example of falling through the cracks and going on to, you know, cost more money for because they're committing crime and stuff. And then we've come on board and now look at you know, employed, got their own housing. Doing really
1: well. So, well, hang on. The project's just another referral system. Why is it so much better than our e-referral process? So we've got a system in place, and this is essentially the project becomes another referral off process. And why yeah. does it work so much better than e-referral?
0: Mm. The answer to that is, it's collaborative. So it, we actually work in conjunction with the police, to get the warm yeah. entry, the girls. So yep. it's not just a referral, it's, okay, how are we going to have the best opportunity to get these girls on board? And, yep. it's, yeah. and if it's not, you might go back to the, the police officer and say, look, we're, we're having trouble.
2: Yep. I think you've gone out together with them, haven't you? Yeah, I was about to say, like, even with one girl, like, you know, Peter Vandermeer had a really good relationship with her and he referred her to me. so. On one occasion, I actually went out with him to their home and Mm. together and spoke to the mum. And and, and that's the thing different with our program is that we actually continue following up with whichever police officer. We've built that relationship with the police now and we still follow up and let them know how that young person's going. So it's it's not just a, yep, right, we've referred you off to... Headspace. That's it. See you later. Never hear from you again. We'll continue to update whoever the police officer was that referred. You know, so to yeah.
1: me, that's the big difference. And that you've got that relationship inbuilt now with Vic Pol. That you've been up to crack probably one of the hardest divisions ever already. Mm-hmm. So
2: yeah, but it's also <clears throat> like with us, I think as well, which is what I always harp on about. Like we're not we're not motivated and driven by. Targets and yeah, all that sort of stuff. So you know, whereas other agencies, that's you know, like you Justice, I know we had to meet KPIs. Like that's what our focus was. Where like coming from there to here, like it's so different. Like I feel like we're we're just such a we have so much leeway in this service that we can actually do that work. Whereas other services, you know, like I ke- you know, I keep going back to YJ, but ninety five percent of my work was based on KPIs and paperwork and assessments and 5% was actually on the young person you know like i used to get really annoyed if my young person turned up for their appointment because i'm like oh I've got this assessment to do i've got this court report to do you know whereas here like we're actually focused on the young people 100% and we can yeah. do the work that we want to do and it's yeah like other services like as i say like if they don't turn up to three appointments in a row like we're dealing with the most vulnerable chaotic clientele that there is of course they're not going to be consistent you know whereas they'll close whereas we'll just we have that leeway to i I hadn't spoken to one girl for three months and then she contacted me and i'm like yeah okay let's meet up like you know we don't close so we have that's where we're different to other services
0: now one of the other things that i recall from our young girls is because our collaboration with the police is ongoing the girls around the girls and their families as well we even it's about changing the relationship the way that the girls see the police as well because we've had uh, you know the girls that are wanting continue engagement the police officers that they've had that contact with and I think one of them came down and basketball with one of the
2: girls that's life-changing the girls yeah. and I know that Pete even goes out and sees the girls and you know like we want one of the 12 year olds like he had a race with her in the street like you know like <laughs> so he's sort of like that and even one of my older girls that is really doesn't want the police around but then she was in that situation where the ex-boyfriend came out so I rang Trent Delaney you know and I, so he went around in, even in just plain clothes mm. to go and see her like instead of in his police uniform and then she was Okay with that, just to check on her. So, like, yeah, we've been able to change their mindset with police. And when you find a really good police officer like that as well, that will engage yeah. with them. That that yeah, makes a little
1: difference. There needs to be identified career path that you could say straight away when you get in after a year or two. The preventative side's more interesting to me than going out yeah. and trying to arrest everyone post offence. So you've yeah. got. Them. Huge focus in VicPol now because you know crime data says we must on what happens um, once offence has been committed and our response thereafter against the other end, which was um, you know probably only 10% of VicPol is dedicated to trying to do anything pre-offence and stop mm-hmm. it. And out of that 10%, <coughs> a huge amount of that would be counter-terrorism, whose whole work yep. is pre. So um, you know when you get down into the youth community level stuff there's not a whole lot of resources given to it in VicPol. Um, I'd love there to be a preventative policing department within VicPol. And, you know, one day you could then have the equally motivated DHS people, you could have secondary schooling, you know, uh, counsellors working in there, and they all get seconded in under this one umbrella. Like, it's multidisciplinary operating under the one roof. It's all the same focus rather than Lisa trying to keep this project up and running. Yep. So it's a real challenge, but, you know, that's mm. aspirational. That's big picture stuff that only a chief commissioner's got the power to say, well, this is the direction I want to go. Yeah. Big ask, because, like I said, Lisa, you can't measure prevention and the state government's so driven on, you know, wanting to know data and improvements. Mm. reductions in crime rather than interested in what you might have stopped you need top down direction and funding not bottom up you know trying to bring in the coins to make it all work
0: the bottom line is it's a statewide issue and and there's evidence there in the statistics and the amount of resourcing that goes to it so if it works in one division
1: and you know you You've got to then be able to get in young girls going missing. Mum and dad are probably not much good at what they're doing. So how do we improve the skill set and living standards for mum and dad Mm -hmm. so they're able to be better parents and, you know, and then that way the child won't want to run all the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate it. I, You know that, beyond words.
1: All right, no worries.
0: Thanks so much. Nice to meet you. (laughs) See ya. That brings us to the end of our sixth episode of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System. Thank you to our special guest, Al Courtney from Victoria Police, and thank you for listening. Please join us next month when we will be discussing some of the difficulties service users with complex trauma can face when accessing the service system.